The Bible says in, in Proverbs chapter 30, every word of God is flawless. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Now, it doesn't say that the words of God are, are easy, <laughs> because oftentimes they're not. It says that the word of God is flawless. The word of God is perfect, some of your Bibles say. And when you follow the word of God, when you live it out, when you obey it, it really is like a shield. Imagine, you know, arrows that might have been, you know, shot at, 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 at David uh, or, or somebody in the Old Testament and they had a shield and those arrows would hit the shield and the word of God says, that, 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 that's what my word is to you when you follow it and you obey it. It's a shield for you. It's flawless. It's perfect. But it's not easy at times. Sometimes the way of Jesus is difficult. Sometimes God calls us to do things that are hard. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those that hurt you. Beloved, that isn't easy, is it? Those words are flawless. Those words are perfect. They'll be a shield to your life if you live them out. But they're not easy, are they? I don't, I don't want to love my enemies. I don't want to do good to those that hate me. But that's the way of Jesus. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9. He says, if, uh, Jesus said, if, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, beloved, that's not easy. Turning from your selfish ways isn't easy. But it's the way of Jesus. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, submit to one another at a reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. For all of the, the guys that are in here, submit to one another is what the scripture says. But that isn't easy. I, I, I don't want to submit to anybody. I, I want to be the boss of my own life. Yet the way of Jesus is that I live a life where I'm submitting to each other. Jesus says, I, I want you to live a life of submission. I, I want you to submit to one another, which is what we're going to talk about here in just a minute. Yes, the word of God is flawless. It's, it's perfect. But it's not always easy. Being a follower of Jesus is not easy. The way of Jesus at times isn't easy. But boy, if you live it out, it's a shield for your life. It's a shield for your family, a real protection. Now, for those of you that are visiting with us today, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace called Standing Strong, where we're going through the book of 1 Peter together. And today we're going to talk about something that, that isn't easy. <laughs> So let's read our, our text for today. First Peter chapter three, look at, look at verse one. 
Peter says in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lies will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Drop down to verse 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wives with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, and that just means physically weaker. Typically, generally speaking, men are stronger physically. But she is your equal partner. But she's your equal partner. She's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Beloved, obviously, this part of 1 Peter is written to husbands and wives, but I think the principles that Peter talks about here apply to almost all of our relationships. Whether it be your marital relationship or a relationship between you and your, your kids or you and your parents or you and your friends or whoever. So I'm going to broaden the scope and I'm going to talk about relationships in, in, in general, okay? Now, I'll zero in on husbands and wives at times and I'm going to talk about relationships in, in general. And I thought a fun way to start would be to have you think of your relationships in terms of an Olympic event. What if they gave out gold medals for great relationships? What if they gave out silver medals for pretty good relationships? Or bronze medals for decent relationships? Which one would you get right now in your marriage? Could you see yourself on, on the big podium with the gold medal being put around your neck? Maybe the silver. Maybe the bronze, you know. Maybe the zinc. Maybe some of you are at the zinc. You haven't seen that one given out, have you? But I'm sure it's there somewhere. What medal would they hang around your neck for your parenting? Did you get the bronze, the silver, the gold? How, how about your friendships? What, what medal would you get for your friendships? Would you get the gold medal? Silver? Bronze? You got some, maybe the gold, maybe some the silver, maybe some. There's some tension right now. Maybe you, you, you wouldn't get, get, get any. Now, what got me thinking about this was I, I saw an interview with an Olympic athlete, and they asked him what the number one quality was for an Olympic athlete. And without hesitation, he said, dedication. If you want to win an Olympic gold medal or just make the Olympic team, it takes dedication. And he said it without, without you know, hesitation. Well, I thought about that. And I think today we're going to talk about maybe the number one quality that it takes if you want to win the Olympic gold medal in relationships, whether it be the relationship between you and your spouse, you and your kids, um, friends, whoever it might be. And that's the, the quality of submission. The quality of submission. Now, now, when you hear that word, submission, your first thought isn't real positive, is it? I mean, I know. I've got the flesh. In our 21st century culture, wow, you hear that word, and man, your first thought isn't real, real, real positive. I mean, the word submission isn't a, a popular word today. 
It's one of those words where if we think the Bible in any place may be a little outdated, it's, it's with this word, right? I mean, it's an old book. A lot of it is right on and, and great, but you know, come on, 21st century, we gotta, we gotta get a new word here. The idea that you would submit to anybody is crazy talk. And that's what some of you are thinking right now. Maybe a lot of you are thinking that. I would guess that a lot of Christians are thinking that right now. Now here's how Webster's Dictionary defines the word submission. To yield oneself to the authority or will of another. Well, no wonder it's a word that nobody likes. <laughs> I mean, the last thing your flesh wants to do is yield to anybody. Nobody wants to do this. Past week, I, I found a definition of the, of the word submission, and it really gripped me. I think it's in your notes. I don't know. A person who is submissive has the courage to give up their own rights to meet another person's needs. Oh, man. That one gripped me. That, 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 that just took me to another place. This whole yielding thing, you know, man, I, uh, really? A person who is submissive has the courage to give up their own rights that they might meet another person's needs. Now, in my opinion, I, I think this is the key to experiencing a great marriage or great friendships or, or whatever, having the courage to give up your own rights to meet the needs of your spouse, or maybe even your kids, or maybe your friends. Or yielding yourself to the will of another, or having the ability to be unselfish in your relationships. You see, self wants to be in charge. Self wants to make sure that all of its needs are being met. Self wants to be the center of attention. Self doesn't want to yield itself to anybody. Self doesn't care much about the needs of anybody else. All self cares about is self. But if you want to have good relationships with people, you know, the, the, the people around you, like your spouse or your kids or your parents or your friends or whoever, you have to learn to be unselfish. You have to have the, the courage to be unselfish, to have, have, the, have the courage to give up your own rights so that maybe you might meet the need of somebody else like your spouse, like your kids, your parents, a friend. Now there are basically two ways that you can live your life, okay? We're gonna explore them both here. Number one, you can submit your life to no one and live your way, okay? This is the, the self-centered life. All of us have been there. Some of us are there now. 
And by the way, you can be a Christian and be here. You can go in and out of this. But this is one of the ways that you can live. You can submit your life to nobody. Just live life the way you want to live it. This is the self-centered life. You do what you want. You do whatever makes you happy. You don't yield to anybody. You basically have the attitude of, you know, it's my way or the highway. You don't submit to anybody. Now, what happens when you choose to live this kind of life? What happens when you choose to live a self-centered life, a selfish life? Well, a lot of things, but let me give you three, three big ones. Number one, it causes conflict in your relationships. <laughs> Our brother James said this. He said, what causes fights and quarrels among you, husbands and wives? What fight? What causes conflict? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? Beloved, the reason you and your spouse argue is because of conflicting desires. You have a desire and your spouse has a desire. Boom. The reason you and you know, your children argue is because of conflicting desires. You've got a thought and an idea and they've got one. Bedtime ought to be, you know, 8.30, 8, 9 o'clock. They think it ought to be 10. Boom! The reason you and your friends argue is because of conflicting desires. The reason, you know, Republicans and Democrats argue is because of conflicting desires. This group thinks this is how it ought to be done. And this group thinks this is how it ought to be done. And boom! Beloved, when your wants conflict with somebody else's wants, you know, buckle your seatbelt. There's going to be trouble. The sparks are going to fly. It's going to happen. For some of you, it's happening right now, right? For some of you, it happened in your first marriage, and it happened in your second marriage, and maybe you're heading down the path to your third marriage. There was just these conflicting desires, right? Now, for those of us that are married, it's normal that both the husband and the wife would have conflicting desires at times over situations. Those conflicting desires don't have to be evil. You know, what kind of car should you buy? Well, one of you thinks this kind of car. One of you thinks this kind of car. Those are two conflicting desires. Where should we go on our vacation? How should we use the garage? What color should we paint the bedroom? How should we spend our money? Should we attend church this weekend or not? You see, you got these two people, two human beings, made in the very image of God. And they, at times, have conflicting desires. And when these moments come, and they come in every marriage, you have a choice to make. You can dig in your heels and be unwilling to yield to the will of your spouse. You can have a selfish attitude or you can make the choice to submit. You can have the, the courage to give up your own rights that you might be a blessing to your spouse. And the choice is yours. You get to make that choice. But if you choose to be selfish, if you choose to be self-centered, wow, all kinds of good things will happen, right? 
All it takes for a conflict to die down is for someone to humble themselves. That's all. The wisest man that ever lived said this in Proverbs 13, pride only leads to arguments. Man, when you dig in and it's your way or the highway, man, that's going to lead one place. And it isn't marital bliss. It's going to lead to arguments, conflict, all that kind of stuff. Now, the second thing that often happens when you choose to live a selfish life is, is this. It, it keeps change from happening in your relationships. Now we're going to look at our text. Look at 1 Peter, verse 1. Peter says, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then if some refuse to obey God's news, uh, obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Beloved, Peter tells us that, that um, tells these women, women that, that had these unbelieving husbands that if they would just simply yield to the will and the authority of their husbands, if they would have the, the courage to give up their own rights, if they would live in an unselfish way, their husbands would see their humility and somehow they'd be drawn to Jesus. In other words, change had a better chance of happening if they yielded to the authority of their, of their husbands. Now I know that some of you are experiencing what these women were facing. Okay, your spouse, whether it be your husband or wife, doesn't believe in God, and you long for them to change, don't you? You long for them to give their life to Jesus Christ. Well, the greatest way for that to happen is by having the courage to give up your own rights for the sake of your unbelieving spouse. You can come to church all you want, hear all these messages all you want, but it's what you do at home, ladies. It's what you do at home, men, when you're around your unbelieving spouse. It's how you choose to, to live with them. And when you dig in your heels and you decide you're going to live in a selfish way, you're not giving up your rights to anybody. You're not yielding to anybody. It just stops change from happening. Now, obviously, Peter's talking to wives here about their husbands, but the principle is true regardless of the relationship, isn't it? Men, if you have an unbelieving wife, this principle is true for you. Students, if you have unbelieving parents, this principle is true for you. If you go home and, you know what? You're dug in, man. You're not yielding to anybody. You think that's going to have an impact on your parents? You think your parents are going to change? No way. Christian, if you have unbelieving friends, this principle is true for you. I want you to think about it. In your life, who's had the greatest impact on you when it comes to change in your life? Selfish people or unselfish people? Boy, don't we all love to be around selfish people? Boy, they're a blast. They're the life of a party. Let's invite all the selfish people we know over tonight, you know, and have dinner with them. <laughs> unselfish people, right? 
They're the ones that have made the biggest difference. It's been those who have acted unselfishly towards you. And the, and, and, and the same thing is true for you. When you act in an unselfish way towards your spouse, your friends, your parents, or whoever, the chances are far greater that you're going to see change in their lives. Far greater. Beloved, change doesn't happen, you know, because you nag and push and argue or whatever. Change happens when you act in an unselfish way. And by the way, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did, isn't it? Jesus gave up his own rights for you. He left the glories of heaven. He gave up his right. He gave up being in this incredible Trinitarian relationship. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in perfect love, perfect harmony, perfect love. And he gave that up. He was unselfish for you, for me. Jesus was the most unselfish person who ever walked on the planet. He gave his life unselfishly for others and look how many people have been impacted. He humbled himself. Humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. The Son of God could have called a myriad of angels to come and wipe people out. Christian wife, Christian husband, Christian friend, Christian parent, Christian child, one of the most powerful tools that you have at your disposal to encourage other people to grow and change is living an unselfish life before them. Now, I want to take a second and zero in on, on the marriage relationship for just, just a second, okay? The Bible is clear that all of us have sinned, all of us, every one of us. All of us are going to die someday unless the rapture happens. All of us need a Savior. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 3. He said, for you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no longer any Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Beloved, in God's eyes, we're all equal in value, which means in God's eyes, husbands and wives are equal in value. Whether you're a man or a woman, you're equal in, to, to God in terms of importance. Whether you're a man or a woman, you can be used by God. Now, though husbands and wives are equal in value, they don't have the same function or purpose in lives, in, in life. Husbands and wives have different roles to play within the context of a family. For instance, I will never know what it's like to feel a baby kick within my womb. I'll never know what that feels like. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love me or he loves women more because you have that incredible experience, ladies. God doesn't love you anymore because you get to be the one who feels the, the children move. and That's just your role to play. And I have a role to play as a husband. And children have a role to play within the family. 
Bible says that we serve a God of order. Bible says, but be sure that everything is done properly and in order. You see order everywhere. You see order in nature. There's order everywhere. Go down to Taco Bell. There's order down there. Someone's in charge. I don't know. They got a, they got a guy that owns the thing, and then they got a manager who does the night shift, and a manager in the day shift, and then they got the burrito manager, and then they got the Coke manager. I mean, they got it all the way down the chain, man. Everything has order. Our God is a God of order. So he doesn't take a husband and a wife and their kids and throw them in a house and say, hey, go for it, man. There's no order here. It's a free-for-all. No, why would he do that? That would be crazy. We're all equal in Christ, but we all have different roles to play. Men, you represent Jesus in the marriage. God wants you to submit to him and love your wife just as God loved the church. Let that sink in. Women, you represent the believer in the marriage. God wants you to submit to him first and then submit to your husband as if he were the Lord. And by the way, this is what your children need to see. Moms, dads, the most important thing that you will ever do for your children is not make sure that they all have a big house to live in or that they have all the right clothes to wear or that they attend all the best schools or that they wear the, you know, the, 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 the right hats or they have the most current Wii game or that they even attend church or youth group or whatever. The most important thing you can do for your children is to live out God's order in the family. In other words, the most important thing you can do for your children is to have them grow up in a God-honoring home where dad loves mom as Jesus loved the church, where dad treats mom as a precious jewel, where mom is honored in the home, where mom is honoring dad's leadership in the home, where the title mommy means you've reached the top of the corporate ladder. Beloved, this is what your child needs or your children need. But when you as a dad or you as a mom begin to allow selfishness to creep into your life, you're not willing to submit to one another. You don't have the courage to give up your own rights. Man, that's when things get messed up. That'll mess up your children. Not, oh man, my kids grew up and they didn't have the best Wii game. Big deal. Oh, my kids grew up and, you know, they didn't have a big bedroom. Big deal. My kids, you know, grew up and they didn't get to go to Disneyland. Big deal. You grow up and you make sure your kids grow up in a God-honoring home and it could be a shack. And you watch how God uses that. Beloved, something beautiful happens, change happens when your children see both of you, both of you, both of you living in a humble way. Where both of you have the courage to give up your own rights for the sake of each other. Both of you! Both of you! 
So what happens when you choose to live a, a self-centered, selfish life? Well, it causes conflict in your marriage. And number two, it keeps change from happening. Number three, it messes up your prayer life. Verse seven says, in the same way you husbands, you know, give honor to your wives, treat your wife with an understanding way as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's an equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers won't be hindered. This is weighty stuff here, man. Beloved, obviously, uh, you know, God is, through Peter, is talking to husbands. But, but look, the way you act towards others affects your relationship with God. And obviously, as I said, Peter's talking about the marital relationship here, but the principle's true in all your relationships. If you treat your kids crummy, do you think that matters to God? Do you think he's okay with that? God's not okay with that. Ladies, if you treat your husband, husbands in a crummy way, you think God's okay with that? No, he's not okay with that. Now, obviously, Peter's talking to uh, men here about how they treat their wives, and I'll get there in a minute. But this principle holds true regardless of the relationship. Do you think it matters to God if you treat another uh, human being made in God's image who he died for on a cross in a crummy way, your children, a friend, your boss, your employer, so a neighbor? Do you think he's okay with that? He's not okay with that. And when you live in a sinful, crummy way like that, let me tell you something, it's gonna impact your prayer life. I don't care what the relationship is. Beloved, how you treat people matters. Peter says, husbands, if you don't treat your wife in a God-honoring way, it'll impact your prayers. We're going to talk more about that in, in, in a moment. Beloved, when you choose to, sub, to submit your life to no one, when, when, when you choose to live selfishly, it causes conflict in your relationships, your marital relationship. It keeps change from happening in your relationships, and it messes up your prayer life. Now, the second way you can choose to live is this. You can submit your life to God and live his way. There's, there's submitting your life to nobody and living like you want to live, the, the selfish way, or you submit your life to God, you yield yourself to him and live his way. This is the Jesus-centered life. This is the way you, you get the, the gold medal for relationships. Or maybe you're not even on the platform, you know. You take the bronze. Well, guess what? I, I, you listen to, to, to what's gonna, what I'm going to say next, and you'll move from not even placing to at least get the bronze. You, you may even get the silver. Who knows? You really put this to practice. You may end up with the gold. But I think whether you get the bronze or the silver or the gold, I'll take any one of them. Now, what exactly does a Jesus-centered, submissive, unselfish person look like? Well, number one, they work hard to honor the people in their lives. In the same way, verse seven says, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Husbands, God calls you to honor your wife. 
Honor them. Honor your wife. The Jesus way is that you honor your wife. Treat them with great respect. A man that has submitted his life to God, a man who is yielding to the will of God, honors his wife. God says this in Colossians chapter 3, Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. I love this because Paul adds another layer onto this. Just in case you needed a little more data from God. God says, never treat your wives harshly. That's what God says. And by the way, God doesn't need to say that, does he? You shouldn't treat anybody harshly. God's not okay with you treating anybody harshly. Your kids, your parents, your friends, your boss, your coworker. That's not okay with God. But listen, it's interesting that God's word said, I want to make sure I, I just bore in on the men here. You don't treat your, 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 your woman harshly. And part of that is, look, at we're just bigger than they are in most cases, generally speaking. Our voices are deeper. Our muscles are bigger. We can be more intimidating at times. And you ought not ever treat your wife in a harsh way. And some of you tonight, the first thing you need to do is get in the car and go, wow, I heard from God tonight. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But look, ladies, it's not okay that you treat your man in a dishonoring way. That doesn't please God. Yes, God is talking to husbands here, but the principle is just as true for you ladies. You can treat your man in a dishonoring way. It may look different. It may feel a little bit different. It may not be as intense or whatever the words are, but it's not okay for you to do that. Students, do you think it's okay with God if you treat your parents in a dishonoring way? No. He made sure he put that in the Big Ten, right? You're to honor your parents. You don't have to agree with everything they say. Husbands, you don't have to agree with everything your wife comes up with. Ladies, you don't have to agree with everything your husband comes up with. But we're to honor each other. Philippians chapter 2 says... When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Well, that's the problem, is we tend to let selfishness be our guide. We don't yield, and we certainly don't have the courage to give up our own rights. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than yourself. And obviously that has to mean your wife, guys. Ladies, obviously, he's talking about your husbands there too and our kids and all everybody. The principle here that Peter's talking about is broader than just husbands and wives, though, though it certainly applies. 
Paul goes on and says, don't, don't be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of, of others. Now, this doesn't say you, you can't honor yourself. It doesn't say to pretend that you're not valuable or that you don't have any needs. Because we're, we're to love others the way we love ourselves. We're to, well, we care about ourselves. We do, and we're supposed to. When the Bible says that we're to love others the way we love ourselves, it just simply means, look, we, we meet our needs. I, I got needs. I, I got to eat, and so I make sure I eat. I, I got a need for clothes. I got a need you know, for a jacket when it's cold. And the Bible says you're supposed to do that. That's one of the ways you love yourself. But, but don't stop there. Love others. Take care of their needs, too. Make sure that those that are cold have jackets, and if people don't have food, make sure they have food. Now, we can't you know, feed the world, but we have an obligation to have that kind of heart for each other. Especially our wives, right, guys? <laughs> or our husbands, ladies? So the first thing that a Jesus-centered person works hard to do is they work hard at honoring the people in their lives, like our wives. Number two, they work hard to understand the people in their lives. Verse seven says, treat your wife, and by the way, let me just zero in there for a second, your wife... Your wife, not somebody else's wife, your wife. Yours. In an understanding way as you live together. Beloved, the only way you can understand somebody is you have to, to get to know them, don't you? How can you understand somebody if you don't know them? I mean, it's hard to understand somebody like your wife or your husband or your kids or your friends or whoever if you don't know anything about them. Which means one of the, the, the great ways you can understand your, your wife, guys, or your husband, ladies, or your kids is you, you get to know them. Yeah, you dated before you got married and you, you learned a lot of stuff, a lot of great stuff, super. Well, then you got married, it didn't end. Got to listen to, to people. Now, 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 men, look, I know listening isn't easy, and here's why. Listening to somebody else do, doesn't come naturally to us as humans. You know why? Because naturally we care more about what we're thinking than what anybody else is saying. <laughs> Ladies, that's true for you too. That's just human nature. That's just our sinful nature. We care more about what we're thinking because after all, aren't we all brilliant? <laughs> and you're just waiting for the breath, you know. And boom, we're in, boom! We got it. And I want you to know something. You're looking at the ninja master, okay? I can wait and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting, okay, they're gonna have to come up for air in a minute, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and boom, I'm in, right? <laughs> you see, it's not an easy thing to do to listen to people, it's not. I don't care whether you're a guy or a gal, it's not easy because our human nature is we're just, we're just selfish. And yet it's one of the great ways that we get to you know, know more about other people. Paul says in Philippians chapter four, let everyone see that you're gentle and kind. 
One version says, let everyone see that you are unselfish and considerate in all that you do. And one of the great ways you let people see that you're unselfish and considerate is when, when, when you listen to them. And, and I think today, you know, I, obviously it's been a problem since the beginning of time, but I, I think today we have all these great gadgets that really help us do life better and stay connected and even do ministry better, but they can certainly be crummy tools. Um, you ever been like with a buddy or a friend and you're having coffee or you're having dinner and you're talking to them and, and they Weird, isn't it? They're saying something, and, and you're not even trying to take a breath to talk to them. You're, not even, you're more interested about what you have to say to somebody else than you are the person you're talking to. And sometimes it can be your own spouse. Isn't that weird? Isn't that kind of rude? That's just kind of rude, huh? Yeah. I gotta stop doing that. <laughs> Golly, I, I hate preaching. That's just... That's weird how that works. <laughs> we need to, I'm going to tell you right now, our recovery pastor, right back here, Scott Miller, I'm going to tell you something. That's going to end up being um, a 12-step deal. The whole time, I'm not kidding, man, technology. Some of you just can't get away from it. <sighs> I love you, I really do. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, number three. A Jesus-centered person, they, they, they work hard to sacrifice. And I originally had love there, and I thought, that's just, that, what is that? I don't, I don't even know what that means half the time. So I changed the word. They work hard to sacrifice for the people in their lives. When I read verse 7, and I read it over and over and over again, I just had this sense that there was this idea of sacrifice. That, that somebody... Who, who was living the Jesus way, somebody who had submitted their will to the will of God, somebody who was willing to yield their, their life for the sake of somebody else. There's this idea of sacrifice there. And by the way, there's a huge difference between unselfish words and unselfish actions. In other words, it's easy to talk about unselfish things, but to actually do something that's unselfish is a whole other thing. Because unselfish actions, that requires sacrifice. Oh, I'll do this, and I'll do that, and I'll do this, and the, you know, your, your man tells you that all over and over again, or your woman tells you that over and But there's no action. There needs to be action. Listen to what our brother John said in 1 John chapter 3. He said, dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Talk is cheap, right? You can say all the unselfish things you want. It's what you do. This is where a lot of people struggle. It's easy to say, I want to meet your needs. It's easy to say, you're valuable to me. I love you deeply with all my heart. It's easy to say these things, and it makes us feel good. Sacrificial talk makes us feel good. 
but it's actually doing sacrificial actions that scare us to death. I mean, it's easy to say, I love you enough to die for you. Just don't make me give up my golf game this Saturday. I don't want to do that. I know this thing is really important. You want me to go to it? But it made you feel good, didn't it? I love you, man, I really do. You're really important to me. Man, if I had to say I do all over again, you'd be the one. You know, I, I, I got a softball game this Saturday, and you want me to do what? All of us struggle with this, okay? We've got this human nature, and it just likes to be the center of attention. And as a believer, you know, we often will be in the Jesus-centered life. We've yielded our life, our will to the will of God, and things will go great. And then, man, we can slip right back into the, I'm not yielding anybody life, the selfish life. If you truly want to get the gold medal, it takes action. You want to get the, the silver medal, it's going to take some action. You want the bronze, it's going to take some action. You just want to make the finals. You, you gotta, it's going to take some action. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Oh, and then there's this sentence. It does not demand its own way. That's what love is. It doesn't demand its own way. Hey, listen, this is what I want. The kind of love that comes when you've yielded yourself to the will of God says, you know what, I, I don't need my will done. I don't have to have it done my way. I'd like for it to be that. I have this desire, and I sure would like for the garage to be used this particular way. But it's okay if it's not. That's hard. Wow. It's easy to say I love you. Our brother James gives us some really practical, practical advice as it relates to relationships. He says this in James chapter 3. He says, the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. The only way you're going to get this is from God. You've got to be yielded to God if you're going to get this. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It, it shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. And here's the key in verse 18. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and thus reap a harvest of righteousness. Beloved, every day in every relationship you have, in a weird way, you're planting seeds with your wife, your husband, your kids, your friends, whoever. Seeds of love, seeds of anger, seeds of jealousy, seeds of peace, seeds of confidence, seeds of insecurity, all different kinds of seeds. And what that means is, is that some moment those seeds are going to grow and eventually you're going to reap whatever seeds you've planted. The reason some of you are walking with the Lord today is because somebody, you know, your parents planted seeds of Jesus Christ in your life and they're blooming today, right? 
Now, the reason many of you struggle with anger or insecurity or alcohol abuse or whatever it is is because your parents, your mom, your dad, or both, or someone planted the seeds of anger, insecurity, or alcohol abuse in your life when you were little. And guess what? They're blooming today. They chose not to live wisely. I have some of those things that were planted in my life that I struggle with today. And yes, the Lord comes along and he squirts the, you know, uh, roundup on those things and they die out, but man, the roots can run deep, man. They rear their ugly head at times. Beloved, if you want to have good, healthy, peaceful, God-honoring relationships, if you want to have the gold medal put around your neck for relationships, you got to live carefully. you got to be wise in how you act towards others. you got to plant good seeds in the lives that you do life with, your husband, your, your wife, your children, your parents, your friends, whoever they might be. Now, Let's just remind ourselves of the things that we learned today and say them out loud together. Out loud together. Okay, number one, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do the, the three bummers here, okay? Number one, a self-centered person creates conflict. Let's not let that be us this week, or at least one day, okay? Number two, a self-centered person stops change from occurring And number three, a self-centered person messes up their prayer life. Those are just realities. And you ought to hang on to those. Put them on a three-by-five card. Put them on a sticky note. And when you see stuff like that happening, conflict happening, whatever, just go, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Now let's talk about what a Jesus-centered person looks like. Let's say these out loud. A Jesus-centered person honors people in their lives. Number two, a Jesus-centered person understands the people in their lives. And number three, a Jesus-centered person sacrifices for the people in their lives. Now look, you, you get to make the call on this. You can say every morning when you get up, today, God, I'm, I'm going to yield myself to you. I don't want to be a selfish person today. I don't want to be selfish towards my wife. I don't want to be selfish towards my husband. I don't want to be selfish towards my kids, my friends. And so I'm yielding my life to you, God, that I might be a Jesus-centered person today. Or you get out of bed and say Nothing. Probably what that is, is you're saying, you know what, today I'm, I'm not yielding to anybody. I'm just going to be a, a self-centered person today. I'm going to live in a very selfish way today and just realize that the chances are probably great that there's going to be some turmoil throughout the day. Those are going to be seeds that are planted. Oh, maybe they don't bloom today, but they may bloom tomorrow. They may bloom next week or next month or I don't know when. Some of you are here and maybe you're going, man, I, 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 I got a mess on my hands. I've not been a good husband to my wife. I've not been a good wife to my husband. I've not been a good parent to my kids. I've not been a very good kid to my parents. 
we got a place, the altar room, where the spiritual leaders of the church are there, and we'd love to pray for you, with you. Who knows? You may end up praying for one of us. We all struggle with this, folks, all of us. But if you'd come in and say, man, I, I need to treat my wife better, I need to treat my husband better or whatever, let us pray with you. Maybe there's just something else going on in your life and you just would like the, the spiritual leaders of the church to pray. Maybe, maybe you just need someone to listen to you. They're really good at that in there. Go on in. Maybe you're thinking, man, I can't do it. You get home tonight, you can go to our website and there's a little icon that says the altar. And you can click on that and you can put your prayer request in there. And that immediately goes to the chairman of our elder board and other elders and you will get a response. Usually it doesn't take very long and you'll get a response from other pastors and we'll be praying for you. And We literally see those in real time and we respond to every one of them. It's one of the great ways that we can care for you. It could be that some of these things are, the seeds are, are deep and it's gonna take more than prayer. You just, you treat everybody harshly. Forget your wife, forget your husband. You can come down here on a Tuesday night and this place is full with people. Here we call it Celebrate Recovery and guess what? Many of them, how they struggle with anger, they struggle with whatever. We all struggle. It's just a place where people come and worship the Lord and they find a safe place, a place where they're turned on to Jesus Christ, where they're learning to, to, to live the self, uh, get away from the self-centered life and, and live the Jesus-centered life. That's what Celebrate Recovery is about, is living a Jesus-centered life. Come down. Pastor Scott, you get to meet him and and he'll kind of tell you a little bit about it. Take advantage of some of the things that we have. If, if this, you know, if you sense God was stirring in your soul at, at, at any moment here. Okay, why don't you stand and Pastor Scott, come on up. And I'm going to have Scott just close us in, in, in prayer. If you're here and you haven't got your tickets for the single life event or the married life event, go out there and get them. Uh, out in the, the four-year area. It's going to be a great e event, I, pr I promise you. Scott, would you pray?